A good haircut can be a game changer. I mean, everybody wants to look their best for those social media pics, right? So get yourself to Sport Clips at Sport Clips Haircuts. They hair do like no one else hair does. See what they did there? Not only is it the home of champion haircuts, but they've also made relaxing and unwinding the name of the game. Level up your haircut with the MVP haircut experience. It's a spa day for your follicles. Check this out. You get a seven pressure point massaging shampoo along with a perfectly steamed hot towel all while sports plays on the TV. Does it get any better than that? No. You can want it all and have it all at Sport Clips. It's a game changer. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. All right, today on Talk is Jericho, I got my buddy Randy Bly, the singer of Lamb of God and the author of the riveting new book, Dark Days. He's got an incredible story. He spent five weeks in a Czechoslovakian prison, indicted on manslaughter charges before being acquitted. We'll talk all about that. We'll talk Lamb of God's new album, Sturm and Drang. We'll talk about the prison experience, what he ate, what he wore, the inhumane conditions that he faced in the shower, lots and lots of... Uh, Happy stuff, sad stuff, laughter, sadness. This is one of my favorite episodes I've ever done, one of my favorite interviews I've ever done with Randy Bly. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. Welcome to Talk is Jericho, the pot of thunder and rock and roll. The remedy for boredom has arrived. The People's Podcast is here. Let's go for a ride with some heavy Fozzie. This is Brides of Fire on TIJ.
provide a little Brides of Fire for you because it's a heavy tune uh, in honor of my friend Randy Bly, who's here, and his heavy band, Lamb of God, and his heavy, heavy book, Dark Days, has come out. It's all about his experiences being imprisoned in a Czechoslovakian prison for five weeks it's an unbelievable story he wrote all about it in the book dark days we're going to talk about it with randy coming up here it's a great read i want you to check it out even if you know who randy is or not it's riveting he got uh off a plane getting ready for a concert for with lamb of god got shuttled right away to jail and was in there for 37 days all right uh was messed with with the system uh, like I said, you just have to read this book, and you're going to really be amazed by this riveting story that Randy's got to tell you. Uh, he's doing a book tour as well, and there's still a few dates left. If you want to meet Randy, get your book signed. You can catch him uh, at today in New York City at the Book Review. That's on Wednesday, July 15th. He'll be at the Urban Farmhouse in Richmond, Virginia on July 17th. That's his hometown. Finally, he'll be at Book Soup in Hollywood, California, this Sunday, the 19th. Plus, Randy's band, Lime of God. Lime of God. I think they're called Lamb of God. The lime of God tastes a little sweeter. It's, it sounds like a, a Greek uh, dinner. I'm gonna, I will have the lime of God, please. Uh, they're dropping the new album, Lamb of God, is next Friday, July 24th. They're kicking off a tour next Friday as well. So much stuff coming up on the way with Randy. And uh, before we get started, I want to tell you a little about Tough Enough, episode four. I had a great time this week. I think it was the best show that we've done so far. Um, I know a lot of you were confused at first as what exactly type of show this is. Is it a reality show? Is it a live show? Is it a, a training show? It's a little bit of everything. Obviously, the old Tough Enough shows were all reality, all training in the ring. We're trying to flesh out the uh, experiences of a WWE superstar prospect. They're learning lessons every week about humility and how to cut a promo and uh, strength and determination and courage and all that sort of stuff. But I think this week, episode four, we really came together with with the absolute best episode yet. Um, I took them to the improv to try and help them do promos. Some of them did great. Mata, excellent promo. Josh did a great promo. Patrick did a great promo. And Gigi did an excellent promo as well. But Sarah and, uh, and Zizi still had a lot to give. I'd gotten both of their faces. And what you didn't see is I got in Zizi's face the same way I got into Sarah's face. And I told him, I was like, listen, you don't have the fire. You need to change gears. And he was looking at me. I said, do you want to punch me in the face? And he said, yeah, but your face is too pretty. And I, I was like, yes, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Good, good stuff. Did the same thing to Sarah Lee. And you can see how she did not give me what I was looking for. She fired up a little bit, but there's still some trepidation. And I started to wonder, can she even really do this? Does she have the fire to do this? Can she switch gears and become this character? I didn't think she could. Lo and behold, with the uh, prompting of Paige as well, this week on Tough Enough, she fired up at the end and got a standing ovation. And once again, out of the uh, out of the box, bottom three and I think she's actually become probably the biggest baby face on the show so far she did an amazing amazing job uh, with that promo I mean she could still amp it up some more but I think she finally got sick enough is enough I'm not going to take it anymore and fired up when she had to and saved herself just like she did a couple weeks ago so she does have that in her we want to see more of that I think it was good for Tanner to be in the bottom three because he was getting cocky riding on the coattails doing the same thing every week and blending into the crowd which is the worst thing you can do so there's still um, a lot of people that need to kind of embrace that and, and do more work. I think Amanda needs to get 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 more into it. Um, I think it's the same thing. Georgia did a great promo. 
but I think she still needs to show a little bit more versatility as well. So it's definitely shaping up. We're getting this thing rolling, and we're really on a on a on a good good uh, steam here, on a good stream of killer killer uh, situations. The personalities are coming out. And I think uh, I'm really enjoying the show. Highest rating of the year so far for C- uh, for episode three. Hopefully, we'll get the same thing with episode four. We shall find that out just momentarily. And it's funny. When we went to the improv this week, uh, I came out and I was trying to fool them into thinking they'd have to do stand-up comedy. So I went and told some jokes. I told some WWE jokes. I uh, opened up with, what did John Cena say to the Japanese uh, sushi chef? You can't sashimi. Huh? Anyone? Anyone? I said, why does Vince McMahon have to go to heaven? Because he's got no chance in hell. Is this thing on? And then I said, uh, how, many li- how many Vince McMahons does it take to screw in a light bulb? I said, none. Light bulb screwed light bulb. How are you? <laughs> I told Vince that. And he was looking at me. He's like, I've never screwed anyone in my life. And I was like... It's a little bit of uh, Montreal screw job humor for you. And then I did one more WWE joke where I said, what did CM Punk say to Adam Copeland when Adam Copeland made a pass at him? I'm straight, Edge. <laughs> ah, you got to get a kick out of yourself or what chance do you have, right? And then I went with a, a cheap heel Orlando Magic joke where I said, what do you call a member of the Orlando Magic with an NBA championship ring? A thief! Oh! And, uh, yeah, good stuff, good stuff, because the uh, Orlando Magic have never won a championship ring. So you see what I did there? Yeah, exactly. Once again, like I said on Tough Enough, I am a comedic genius. Exactly. And I'm also uh, do, uh, having a great time with this podcast. And tonight's guest, like I said, Randy Bly, or this morning or this afternoon, depending on where you are when you listen to it, one of my favorite guests with the riveting, riveting story of his imprisonment uh, unfairly in, in Czechoslovakia. He's going to tell us all about it. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. How are we doing so far? Are y'all having a good time? We are just getting started. Talk is Jericho. All right, so we're in this uh, kind of fancy pants hotel with uh, with Randy Bly. Yes. Trying to figure out how to say your last name properly. Amazing. <laughs> you walked in here, and this room has a guitar in it. Has a guitar, all sorts of like. Is a pencil sharpener? Yeah, pencil sharpener. And I thought it's it was very writerly. I thought it was your guitar. You're like, no, that's the guitar that was actually in the room. Yeah, it's kind of this is a hip hotel. <laughs> hip hotel. I don't yeah. really fit here, yeah. but we're here because you have a giant press tour mm-hmm. over the next few days for your your brand new book that, that is coming out is out will, is about to be out depending when you listen to this called Dark Days. Yeah, which is just an incredible book. But I mean. Uh, it's cool that you're out here to do the press because this, we were just talking earlier. It's so important to do press when you release a, a product now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting. I think a guy like me and a guy like you coming from the wrestling background and doing promos and all that stuff. I mean, of course, wrestling promos are over the top. As I've read about your promo development in your books, which I did my homework. You know. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but uh, 
I think coming from the music industry background, and we were talking about Duff earlier, uh, we we kind of might have a leg up on someone who's writing a book for the first time who doesn't live in the entertainment world. Mm. You know what I mean? Because we're used to like, okay, check this out, you know? Right. And it's, it's very odd for me because I'm not a salesman at times. I'm kind of like, when my band started, it was like, okay, this is what we do. If you don't like it, then tough, mm-hmm. you know? And I've kind of had to learn to to pull back some of that, you know, middle finger to everyone, (laughs) I suppose, you know, it'd be like, you might want to check this out. It's kind of cool. Yeah. 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 Well, and you're right too, especially in this day and age too, you know, and it's just the world that we live in. We're kind of in this, uh, middle stage where, okay, we grew up with albums and cassettes and CDs and DVDs and books. Mm -hmm. And now it's kind of switching over to where it's becoming all digital. And -hmm. in about 10 years, all of this will kind of be irrelevant. But we're in this kind of one foot in the past, one foot in the future, which is hard as an artist because we still want to promote these products that we're putting out and these great pieces of work. Mm -hmm. But it's easy and easier for people to just get them for free. Right. You know, uh, like we have a record coming out. 10 days after my book that comes out the 24th and our bass player sent us an email and someone sent him a, uh, a photo. I don't know if they knew this person or whatever, like actually, Oh, we went to this record label party and saw this record laying out and it's not out yet. And I stole it and the leak is going to happen too. And like, it's like, they're taunting you like, here it is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know? And it's like, Oh, you know, um, I, I'm getting to the point where I'm kind of confused as to what record labels do mm. since no one buys <laughs> right. records anymore. I mean, are you, I mean, you're kind of like a giant PR firm, I guess. I guess yeah. maybe try and get you on the radio, which is still based yeah. on how much money you're getting and giving, Right. you know, because like I said, I, I think the, the, especially if you're talking about selling albums and selling books, right. In stores is still the best way, right? Because people like the "Hey, Randy, how you doing?" Sign. Right. My name is Dave. You sign the book. Mm-hmm. That's a souvenir that people can get behind. So mm-hmm. I think the more in stores you do, the better it is. But a lot of bands don't do that, and a lot of record companies still have issues with booking you in those places, which is weird to me. Yeah, it's it's strange, you know. Um, we haven't done in stores in a while. Of course, we haven't put out a record in a while. I think one thing I've heard about books, because I kind of like started looking into this, learning a little bit about the book business, like, you know, everything's going to streaming now. Mm -hmm. Even like people aren't even buying the digital copy. Mm -hmm. You know, pretty soon they aren't even going to steal the digital copy. They're too lazy to steal it anymore, (laughs) I guess. They just want to stream it. Yeah. And that's a book, too. Yeah. You could do that with a book. You can do it with a book. My book hasn't leaked. Knock on wood. I I heard it would. I heard it would, and eventually it will. And someone will remix it or whatever. (laughs) You know, which, whatever. But I think with books, like, one thing is is that it's, uh, it's so much more of a physical sensation. Like... I read, and this was, you know, odd for me. I read, I've read your first book, Lion's Tale, and then I was, I'm about halfway through Undisputed. Mm. It's halfway through that. I bought them on a Kindle because I was on tour. Right. And I didn't want to have to carry around these books, you know. Uh, 
And I, you know, I was able to read the book, but I'm still like, oh, I wish I could hold it. Yes. And I'm looking at the pictures on the Kindle of like you, you know, the, you know, when you were drew a picture of you going to wrestle Hart, you know, mm-hmm. and wrestle with him, I guess, when you were a kid, you yeah, were a tag, tag team, team Hart, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I was like, oh, you know, I can't, I can't really look at it the way I can with a book. And I think there's something like a tactile sensation that people still really dig with books. I agree. Like my kids still, they read a lot and they read books. Right. They're not interested in the Kindle because, you know, Kindle... If you're reading it on an iPhone, it's a lot smaller, and you're you know stroking the pages with your finger. But like you said, having that book in your hand, there is a little bit more of a of a sensation that goes with it, rather than like you know a CD. You hold it, you look at it, you put it down, you listen. Right. A book, you're holding it and turning the pages the whole time. Right. And also, like you know, I go back and forth in books a lot. You know, if I'm like, if I you know, because I'll get distracted while I'm reading, and if I if I'm like, who is this character, or whatever, I'll go back. Right, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's really easy with an actual book to just stick your finger in one spot, hold the place, and then flip back to the other spot. And okay, okay, this is who this guy is. Right. And then go back. But with the Kindle, you're like, what page is that again? Yeah, exactly. And then there's the whole other thing is I, you know, I had like 30 books on the Kindle. And then I left it in an airplane somewhere in Scandinavia. Ooh. I was halfway through uh, un- Undisputed. Uh-huh. And like I'm like, crap. So I had to go and buy a new one when I got back to America. <laughs> you know? So yeah. like, I, I don't know. I mean, there, there's pluses and minuses to it. I prefer holding a book, mm-hmm. though. Even know? for the pictures, too. Like you said, if you want to, I was like going, like, I looked through the pictures at first just because that's what I do. Look at the pictures, kind of get like a little bit of a preview of what may or may yeah. not happen. And then as you're reading, go back to the pictures, like, oh, there's Randy yeah, yeah, at yeah. 15 or whatever. I try not, I try not to do that when I read biographies. <laughs> I really try not to look to, like, normally in the middle, like, there's of a, a lot of like rock biographies or whatever, there are these pictures. There's like, you can see it's the glossy section yeah, 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 where right, there's right. like, four pages of pictures. I'm like, I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look. And then finally I'm like, screw it. I'm going to look. You know? <laughs> look at the pictures first. So Yeah. But let's talk about your book. I yeah. mean, it's it, it, first and foremost, you're a great writer. And I knew that just from reading your Instagram, which is incredible because you, you're also a great photographer. But you write like almost mini novellas describing every, every picture that you post. It could be mm-hmm. three or four paragraphs or whatever it is. And it's, you really get into it. You're very descriptive, which I liked right off the bat. Uh, thanks. Um, I think I enjoy writing with Instagram, but it's very off the cuff. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think about it while I'm writing it. And when I'm writing with pictures that I take, like because I'm relatively young as a photographer, I've only been shooting for about four years. When I, I'm still figuring out my aesthetic and, and what I'm doing with photography. So... When I write with the pictures, it kind of like it's me figuring out what the picture is about in the context of my life and why I was attracted to shoot that one thing. I don't shoot in the studio, really. I don't create things. You know, I'm more of a street photographer. Yeah, you're walking down the streets of wherever you are, you know, hungry or something. You yeah. see an old guy sitting on a, on a street corner and you'll take a picture of it. Yeah, and everybody who shoots, you know, photographs, see, they see things differently. Everybody's eye is differently. So I'm still figuring out mine. And I'm like, why is that a compelling image to me? And I kind of figure that out as I'm writing it, mm-hmm. you know, writing a book was a little bit more in depth than writing with Instagram. <laughs> yeah. You know? well, plus there's, there's the first draft. There's the second draft, third, fourth, fifth, oh, 10th. Yeah. 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 There's my, so much whittling away. My contract was 
called for 80 to 100,000 words, mm -hmm. and I turned in 247,000 <laughs> words, I think. It was like, because at first I was like, I was obsessively checking my word count as I wrote it. Like, I got to make it to at least 100,000 words. I don't know if I can do that. Yeah. And then I realized like, oh my God, you know, like <laughs> I turned it in and my editor is like, you know, there's no rewriting needed here, you know, because I write clean. Uh, I'm very, I'm pretty meticulous when I'm right, when, when I'm writing. Um, but he's like, we just need amputation. <laughs> so it's like whack yeah. but you know as a writer it's like every word is gold what can I cut Yeah. but what I found out and you probably found out too is instead of writing four or five paragraphs about something you can usually condense that into two or three right you can and like you know I've read since I was a child right and I've growing up I always wanted to be this writer guy you know, I thought I was going to be, I, I liked Hemingway. I like Bukowski. I like Hunter S. Thompson. So I did all the things that the great writers did. I drank, <laughs> I like womanized. I went out and got in fights and, and made a mess out of myself. I did everything the great writers did except for write. <laughs> you know, I was practicing all the other stuff. I got yeah. it dialed in. The writing's the easy part. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I got to drink for a while, you know. Um, but... Those guys, you know, there's an economy of language, like mm -hmm. you're saying, especially with Hemingway. He redefined the way, you know, prose is written, you know, English prose. And I, you know, I would like to think that I'm like this macho, short, tense writer guy, tense, short, manly sentences, <laughs> but I'm way more descriptive. And also a very good sense of humor, too. You write, you write a lot like I do, self-deprecating humor yeah. and little jokes here and there that... Whether people get it or not, yeah, you sent me that. You're, you're like your writing style reminds me of. of and this is before I read any of your books, and um, you know, I was like, I gotta get, I gotta get read Jericho's books, um, so I can know. I like reading people's books, you know. Right. But I hadn't read it yet, and you're like, oh, your writing style reminds me of, of, of mine, and I started reading it, and I'm like, completely with the not taking yourself so effing right. seriously. Yes. You know, because people think, you know, I guess, you know, so, I mean, we're public people. People have weird perceptions of what we are as a person. They're going to think of you as like, well, God knows what they're going to think of you, of the baby face, the heel, whatever, you right. know, they're going to think of you as a serious wrestler, dude. And if, if someone messes with you, you're going to body slam yeah, I'm or kick their ass. Yeah. yeah. You're going to throw the walls of Jericho right, on them right. and then, you know that kind of tough guy crap. And they're going to look at me and they're going to look at one of our shows and they're going to be like, this dude's a lunatic. Yeah. You know, he's screaming he's all the time, violent. And yeah, people have told me like when they read my Instagram posts, they're like, I read your Instagram posts in your lamb of God screaming voice. And I'm like, <laughs> why would you do that? Right. You know, I don't, I never use that except for when I'm on stage. And that's the character that you're playing while on stage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know? it's an expression of, of, it's how I express myself when I'm on stage. You know, but that's, I mean, that's, that's what we're doing when we're on stage. That's what you're doing when you're on stage with Fozzie or when you're in the ring, you know, um, 
regular stuff, I'm a goofball, <laughs> you know? So I, I have no desire to take myself seriously all the time. And I, I never have a problem like laughing at my own stupidity. Well, and that's what comes across, but like, you know, the, the, the book once again is the story of how there was an incident on stage where, where a fan jumped off the stage, was pushed off the stage, whatever, whatever the, the accusation was and ended up passing away. Uh, and you were held accountable for that. Right. And, Basically put in jail in yeah. Czechoslovakia. Yeah, from the plane straight to jail. <laughs> yes, and, and I remember everybody was talking about this when it happened, and you were almost like, like I, in my opinion, when this was going, on, I was like, this should be like an international incident, right? Like you should be on CNN, and we should be lobbying to get you out, right? Because you were held there for thirty-four days, thirty-seven, thirty-seven days. I did thirty-four days in prison, three days in jail. Unbelievable. So I mean, it's it's such a, a an amazing story and an incredible story about, the, about what you went through. But basically, tell us what led to, to this happening. You were doing a show, right? Uh, the basically what happened is is uh, we played a show in 2010 in the summer of 2010 in Prague. We had never played there before. And, uh, there are, you know, there was basically no security. We have very strict security requirements in our contract, you know, and our tour manager met with the promoter and the people running the club. Do you have this in place? Yes. You know, um, and then we went on stage and there was no security, no barricade. You know, there was like one security dude who was, I didn't even know he was there. Mm. You know what I mean? He was there, but I didn't know cause he didn't do his job. And there was a barricade, uh, not a solid face barricade, but a barricade with a you know, open face and a rung in the middle. So it was basically a ladder. Mm. And it was pushed flush with this stage, which is, you know, three feet tall. This is a small kind of one Tiny, of classic dingy European yeah, clubs. Where you're like, what the hell are we even doing? Yeah, here? yeah, right. a dump. Right. And, I, and I didn't even go into the club that day because when I got off the bus, you know, one of my crew guys is like, don't even go in there. It's a dump. And let me explain this to the people listening. Sometimes you go to clubs and it's like, oh, the dressing room or backstage. There is no dressing room or backstage a lot no. of times. It is hang out on the bus, change into your gear, rock gear on the bus, do the show, walk back to the bus, and wash your face in the sink of the bus, and that's about the extent of, of your shower. Yeah, that's yeah. it. <laughs> you know, this this place had like a curtain up with like a hallway where all our gear was. That's about, you know, maybe yeah. one other room. It wasn't like a deluxe rock club. Right, you know? all right. And the gear was like crammed on stage. So from the first song, you know, there were people on stage and, you know, there was one kid who kept on taking the stage. And finally I took him down on the stage and put a grapevine on him, wrapped my leg around his and it was screaming in his face like, no, 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 no. And eventually, you know, he got the point. And, and then later that night I got off stage and our publicist, Maria told me, called me and she kept on calling me and I answered and she's like, you know, Randy Paul Gray is dead from Slipknot. Mm -hmm. He had passed away, and she called me in Europe to let me know. And it was a bad day, you know. It, it sucked. It was a crappy show um, because of all this nonsense. Let um, me just say, there's no reason why you should be wrestling guys on stage. No, because... That is not cool. Your job is the singer of a rock and roll band, and I'll tell you from experience, especially after what happened with Dime. Dime, oh, Dime yeah, was assassinated yeah. on stage yeah. in a club. Nobody's allowed on the fucking stage. Right. That's just the rule now. There's no more real stage diving or anything like that. Yeah. That's a thing of the past. Yes. So just the fact that you had to wrestle somebody on stage is so not 
even fair to you, and it's not something that happens every night. No, and it's like the stage is really small. People don't realize it's dangerous. You know, yeah. it's really small. There's equipment all over the place. Yeah. Like people, it's guitars swinging. Yeah, you know? yeah, cabinets. Like we've had techs. One of our techs, like, basically got his ankle broke one time when cabinets fell on him. You know, like, wow, yeah. it's dangerous. Right. You know, especially on a small stage. But regardless, you know, we played the show. We left. We went to Poland. And I, I didn't really even think anything of it because it was, you know, it was a bad show. And I got the news that my friend had died, you know, and it was her first time in Prague. I remembered that, you know, but other than that, it was, you know, on to the next show, yeah, yeah. 70, 80 minutes. So two years later, we play in Norway and this beautiful festival uh, called Hova Fest outside of Arendelle. Beautiful, just great day. Took a sailboat to the festival <laughs> and then we... <laughs> An antique sailboat. And then we land in Prague and we have a day off and I'm stoked because I'm going to go see a bunch of history and stuff. I, I like to go explore. Take some I, pictures. Yeah, yeah. Take some photos, all that stuff. So we get off the airplane and I walk down to the, in the airplane, there's someone collecting passports, which was kind of weird, but I was just like, whatever, it's some sort of check thing. You know, they're checking passports. And at the end, they usher me and my band into this little room to the, the side of the jetway and all the other passengers are going off into the airport. And once we're all in there, I'm in there and I look around and there's five dudes, big dudes, like big dudes with face mask on. You, wow. couldn't, you couldn't see their eyes. You know, they were like riot cops sort of. Like, yeah. It looked yeah. like a SWAT team where gotcha. they were there to get bin Laden or something. They had machine guns. They had, body armor big pointy knives there were three big severe like eastern block looking dudes who were playing clothes detectives as well and then there was a woman uh who it turned out was a head detective and once we were all in there she walked up to me and she goes david blight she called it blight yeah <laughs> i'm like yes that's me she handed me my passport and she goes this is for you please gather any medicines you may need we need to go and I looked at this piece of paper, and it said that I was being charged with the equivalent of manslaughter, you know. Um, it said that I had willingly injured this young, some young man. He had, it was, the English is kind of funny on the charges. Like, I had willingly pushed this guy from the podium, which they mean stage, stage yeah. you know. And he had fallen, and from what I could gather, he'd gone into a coma and died a month later. And this was two years previously, and we had no idea, and I was to be charged. So you had never heard anything about that no. up until that moment? Not, no, wow. of course not, right. man. You know, it, I, mean, I mean, if I had wanted to be a jerk and hide from the situation, I would have just been like, screw that. I'm not going back to Prague. But that's not the way I would have handled it. We would have, you know, of course. Ooh, made yeah. some sort of attempt to to deal with this situation, you know, and the Czech government contacted the U.S. government, you know, after this this young man died and said, um, we want to investigate this this black guy about the possible manslaughter charge. And the U.S. government said, no, screw you. Oh, but you didn't even know about that either at that no. point in time. Uh, wow. No. And but they neglected to tell me. Right. By the way, you're wanted for manslaughter in a foreign country. <laughs> yeah, something you might want to know about. Yeah, and so then we show back up. They take me off to jail for three days. And so then you're I, going straight from the airport right to jail? Oh, immediately. 
are you telling anything to like you know Chris or anybody in the band like saying dude like call the call somebody I t- I looked at my guitar player Mark and I'm like call my wife tell her I've been arrested wow and and uh and someone said you might want to call someone in my band or crew was yelling at me like you might want to call the embassy or get a lawyer and i thought that was just ridiculous i'm like might maybe (laughs) no i'm gonna handle this by myself do you think so Uh, yeah you think (laughs) no i'm I'm gonna deal with this on my own i got the smarts for that (laughs) so i went to jail and they questioned me and then i went before a judge and he said why should i grant you bail you know, until if we're going to indict you on this charge, why should I grant you bail? And I looked him straight in the eye and I said, because I'm a man of my word. I want to clean, clear my name. You know, I don't trust anyone that can't look in the eye. Mm-hmm. Like I'm looking mm-hmm. right now, you know, right. that's the way I was raised. Yeah. So I looked him in the eye told him I'd be back. He said, how much can you afford? And I was like, for bail, I was thinking, I was like, you know, maybe a hundred thousand dollars. And he's like, okay, $200,000. <laughs> so oh, you can afford a hundred. Great. I'll double. Yeah, it. Yeah, See you yeah, later, punk. Yeah. yeah. So off I go to prison, this 123 year old at the time prison called Pankratz prison and, uh, paid bail. We borrowed money from the label to pay bail. And that's another thing too. Just let me interject. It's like a band of lamb of God. You guys are a huge band. You headline, you know, festivals and you got a great fan base, but $200,000 is not just something you go to the lamb of God bank account and just take it out. No, 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 no. Right. No, right. No, we're not Led Zeppelin. (laughs) (laughs) Right. We kind of, we got an advance against our, uh, our current record budget for that, you know? Right. Um, who was the record label? Epic. Okay. So so, Epic. that's cool that they, loan that to you because yeah. they didn't have to right no they didn't so thank you epic <laughs> uh and then uh you know i paid bail and i got all pumped to leave prison for a while and then they're like no the prosecuting attorney objected to your bail so like unlike america i don't know how they do it in canada but if you pay bail you're out. let you go right like within a day or whatever. and if you don't show up they hire a bounty hunter and you know and that's dog what, dog the bounty hunter right. flies over from hawaii and gets you or that's whatever. what dog does yeah right? that's yeah. what he does you know right. but that's not how it is there they're like no you know you paid bail but that's not good enough we, so then they do you think they were to, messing with you because you're an american rock star because i you know i think the i think it was primarily the prosecuting attorney he was the one that kept on raising objections. He's a former police interrogator. And uh, I know that the Czech police and their, their, their uh, law enforcement area was, was not happy with our government mm. for being like, no, we won't even help you. Gotcha. So they knew that information that you didn't even know. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I think that he was kind of ticked off on that. And really the dude, I think I was, he just wanted to keep me in prison until trial. And then obviously he wanted me in prison for a while, you mm-hmm. know? Um, I, I think I was a notch on his belt really. Sure. You know, just another, how, how, how are you? I mean, the answer is obvious, but I just curious, how are you feeling at this point in time? Like you mentioned, I got a day off. I'm going to go take some pictures. And three days later, you're standing in front of a judge being accused of basically murder, uh, yeah. paying bail and in prison. I mean, that's happening so fast for you. Yeah, it, it was really weird. And, you know, I write about it in the book because the day before I was arrested, it was like a perfect day, dude. We were in Arendelle, Norway, and this festival we played, it was this island 
in the middle of a fjord and it's like picturesque and we took an antique sailboat built in like 1930 something and there was a captain and he had like this chick who was the, his his first mate who looked like she was out of a catalog like a model like a norwegian model <laughs> right. catalog and me and mark are sitting there on the front of this freaking sailboat like f- sailing through the fjord you know like, like it doesn't get much better like than this. i looked at him i'm like dude our lives are cool right <laughs> yeah, you know he's yeah. like yeah you know it's like we're sailing like lionel yeah. richie or something yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> and then the next day blam you're in prison you know and for me, at first, it was just so like at the airport when I was arrested, I was like, I mean, I don't know what your experience are with psychedelics, <laughs> <laughs> but it was kind of psychedelic for a minute, a little right. surreal. I was like, whoa, you know, yeah. I actually pinched myself to see if I was dreaming. You know, mm. you hear about people doing right. that. I did it. I'm like, am I dreaming? No, I'm <laughs> pinching, pinching. Work, yeah. Yeah. No. Um, but then very quickly I realized, you know, I need to pay very close attention to everything that's happening around me. I need to be very careful with what I say and who I say it to, you know, um, because it was just so messed up. Nobody spoke English. It was crazy, man. Mm -hmm. Like, and anything I said had to be said through a translator, like during my police interrogation, I had this translator and he sucked. You don't know what they're saying, right? Yeah. No. And I'm saying all this stuff and the translator is looking at me from, and I'm being very careful during my interrogation, like, because I, I know what I say is very important. You know, they're looking they're asking me to describe a night, 70 minutes of a night that happened two years ago. Do you remember what you did for 70 minutes two years ago? No. No. It was tough, you know? So I'm even just thinking of some say, remember that gig you played in, you know, in Leeds, England two years ago? You'd be like, no, no, right? No, I don't. The only thing that I would remember is like you said, that's the day that I found out Paul Gray passed away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be what I would remember. Yeah, it's a big deal, you yeah. know, when someone someone dies. And it's I also remember the first time we play in a country. Mm-hmm. And that was our first time. So I remembered that, you know. But like I'm telling him I'm telling this police investigator very carefully, and the interrogator would look at me and say, She says that's not so important. And I'm like, Yes, it is important. <laughs> it, you know, if I'm describing you know, the way I do things on a stage. Yeah. Every word is important. important at this point. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it was frustrating, but like, you know, I just tried to stay in the moment and, and, and realize like no one's killing me. I'm not being shot at. I have food, clothes and shelter, you know, and tell us about some of the, some of the, some of that, the clothes that they had you wear. Oh God, dude. Like, well, they let me keep my shoes after a while, but they took the laces away, and then they gave me laces. But they issued you, like, these weird, I think they were made out of wood and leather, like, sandals. <laughs> and they gave you two T-shirts. They were tan, and they were lit. When you say threadbare, they were threadbare. You could hold them up, and I could, like, wow. I could look through it. I could be like, who is that? Oh, that's Chris Jericho. I see him through my <laughs> shirt. So like used shirts that have been oh, yes. in the system for years. Right, like pantyhose. Looking, right. You oh, know? Wow. And then these really weird green, like rough pants. But I, I don't know if they just made them one size or what, because like they were all had obviously all been like custom tailored by prisoners whenever they got them. So like oh, I see. they were cut apart and like 
for me, I'm a skinny dude. So I got some, some pairs where it's like, you know, they had been cut apart and I'd have to cut off a piece of my bed sheet in order to make a belt and tie it together. Wow. When my wife came to see me, I put on my best clothes I had and that they had given me. And it was still like holes in this shirt, these weird pants that I had tied up with string and one leg, she, you know, she was laughing about it. One leg was hemmed like two inches higher than the other, like wow. up around my ankles. Like it's just crazy. So they're just poppers clothes. They're rags basically. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. rags, you know, um, you know, I wasn't mistreated by anyone in there, by any guards or prisoners, you know, I mean, not, there were some, definitely some guards who were jerks. Tom yeah. Selleck. Tom Selleck. Well, there was Tom <laughs> Selleck, Selleck was one. All right. Yeah. Yeah. There was Tom Selleck one and Tom Selleck two. Yeah. You do a great job of naming the guards. which is what I would do. Like you're th- like that. Oh, that guy looks like Tom Selleck. Oh yeah. And but Tom Selleck two looked like kind of later years. Yes. Tom Selleck, Tom Selleck one was like classic Tom Selleck from like the eighties. Magnum PI. Yeah. The Magnum. And he, he kind of had a little bit of a new wave thing going. And then Tom Selleck two was like, he was like a more restrained modern era Tom's like his mustache wasn't quite so like bushy bushy and magnificent you know but who was they, the one guard that was always giving you shit Bradley Bradley and I have friends named Bradley no offense to Bradley's but this one guy he is had like a little man complex a short man complex and he was a jerk dude he was one of those one of those dudes because there are prison guards like that in every prison from what I've been told who just they're like the kid who got picked on in high school. So sure he's got a power trip going on. Yeah. So now he's going to mess with a bunch of dudes who are locked up. So yeah. what would he do? He's just real shitty attitude. And he'd like, I remember he'd, he'd knock on the door and he'd be like, I've got great news for you. He was also the only guard who spoke English well, which sucked. Yeah. yeah you know, cause he yeah. was the one screwing with me. I mean, like, what is it, dude? What is it? You got herpes? That's, that'd be great news for me. You know? And he's like, lunch is coming you know and like he just trying <laughs> he's messing with your mind yes yeah. trying his best he come in and like apparently according to regulations when you come in when a guard opens a door if you're on your bed you're supposed to stand up and he'd come in for no reason and open the door he'd be like you must stand up and then after a while we were like no no i'm not i'm not standing up you can don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out what are you going to do throw me in prison <laughs> yeah you know right. screw you deny my bail yeah <laughs> right he's he was just a jerk you know mm-hmm. and if like like some guards would let other people like if you were because I had, there were some guys in there who spoke a little bit of English. They would help me with writing. Like if I need to write something in check to, to like a note to the commissary to get something. Right. Like if say. you wanted something from the commissary, you would have to write an yeah, actual for, note at saying, first. I want this. Yeah. yeah. At first. And then after I was moving the population, you could go once a week. But at first you had to write this note and they gave me this shopping list. They were like, okay, shopping is tomorrow. Here's this list. It's all in check. And I'm looking at it like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a menu completely in Czech, which is n- not even like Spanish or, or French or anything close to English. It's right. totally different. If it was in Spanish, you could put it together. Yeah, you know? I could yeah. put it together, you know, like chorizo. That, let's have it. It's sausage, yeah. whatever, you <laughs> yeah. know. But like he – other guards, if I would be like, hey, I need some – can I pass this note to my friend two cells down? He speaks English and they'd be like, Oh, he speaks and he'd do it. This guy, Bradley. No, no, screw you. You know? 
he was just a hard ass, mm-hmm. you know, total hard ass, screwing with my mind, always trying to. And I really had to watch myself around him. That's the type of guy that gets you in trouble. Yeah, big time. Right, right. And he's the type of guy that would, like, try and push your buttons until you did snap on him. Yeah. You know, and then once you do that in prison, you're really fucked. Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? People! All right, so you're talking about the, the clothes that you were wearing. Mm-hmm. How about the food that they gave you? When you said lunch is coming, what exactly would, would, would you have? Well, the first, the first meal of the day that I had in the Czech prison was, was lunch. And like they brought in this stew, and it wasn't really thick. It had some sort of tiny bits of meat in it and what looked like an unbaked sub roll in it. Okay. <laughs> and like and it about tasted like that. Right. And they call it that's knedliki, I believe they say it. They call that dumplings. Mm-hmm. It's not like grandma's dumplings. It was like a big wad of dough in there. There was a bowl of stew and a bowl of this watery like chicken stock soup and a piece of bread. And that was lunch. And so I'm like, this is kinda light, you know. I'm kinda hoping that it's going to be better for dinner. It's got to be, you know, right. okay, lunch sucks, you know, I mean, it wasn't you know, inedible, but it, it wasn't really solid food. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, dinner's going to be better. And this is the first day, you know, dinner comes and I, and all it is, is soup and bread, not even the stew. And I find out it's that even less. lunch, yes, lunch is the main meal of the day Oh, over there. And they, I think like once a week, maybe they give us like, chicken and rice or stuff but almost all the rest of the time it was just stew some sort of slob so we didn't not a lot of solid food they say in the czech republic if you want to lose weight that's the prison to go to i was told that (laughs) did you lose weight yes yeah yeah which i can't afford yeah you're a skinny guy yeah i uh gray came into my beard for the first time and that's no big deal you know i'm i'm 44 it's about time yeah but still yeah it was like because you were talking about how it was uh, not a hassle, but get razors, coffee, cigarettes, a pencil, yeah. paper, all that stuff was you had to basically get it or earn it. Yeah. You know, you didn't have that for a while. No. When I was arrested, when I was arrested, I had a change purse in me because you're in Europe. I, I don't know about you, but I carry a little change purse because, mm-hmm. you know, there's one euro coins and all that stuff. Yes. I don't do that in America. Uh, because we don't really use dollar coins that much. Yeah, there's, there's two dollar coins in Europe. There's two pound coins Yeah, in it's England. like loonies yeah. and toonies. In right, Canada, yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. Um, but so you're in these different countries, and I have a little change purse. And luckily, after a few days, they'd, they'd given me that back once I was in there. It was in my pockets. And in that, I had like a couple of hair ties, some subway maps of New York City, little card ones. So that was kind of cool. I'd look at those. I had six... <laughs> Lamb of God, Willie Adler signature guitar picks, <laughs> which was awesome because I used them to trade for like cigarettes and stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. Was there fans of Lamb of oh, God yes. in the prison? Was, yeah. Yeah. There were fans of Lamb of God in the prison. Some of them were guards. Wow. That's um, cool. But 
I like, I mean, nobody screwed with me in there, but I would have preferred, it's kind of, a, it's a weird thing to go to prison in a foreign country and you're the top news story in that country. Right. Cause I was the top news story for a while when I was arrested. I, you know, my face, the other prisoners would come out to walk and they'd have this newspaper and they're like, it's you, you know? And I'm like, yes, it's me. Yeah. You know? So everyone in there knew who I was. That old adage of there's no such thing as bad publicity. This probably is bad yeah. publicity. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of like, <laughs> I don't know, you know, I don't know. Okay. I'm, I'm American. I didn't see any other Americans in there. Only one other British guy. Really? The whole time. Yeah. Whole time. Um, but I was like, I don't know if someone, I mean, prison, people in prison, it's, it's not a place where you get together and hold hands and sing Kumbaya. You know what I mean? I didn't know if like somebody in there maybe had, had a bad experience with Americans, had something against them. Right. Sure. Or someone had, you know, was a relative of this young, young man who had died or, uh, if you know they just happen to read the news and they're like, "Screw this guy, I'm gonna yeah, shank just in him." Pissed off mood or something. Yeah, like yeah, because I mean that's that happens, and you know we were mixed in population with everyone, so it was, you know, I, I would have rather have been anonymous, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but nobody screwed with me there. The prisoners, everybody was really cool, you know. So what's going on uh, in, in America at this point in time, as far as what are you hearing from lawyers? I'm or- not hearing really anything. Because, I mean, I had a Czech lawyer who came to see me, and they were mostly just working. The primary thing at that time was to make sure my bail was honored because they kept on appealing it and doubling it and all that stuff. And we had to borrow another 200000 or so wow. dollars from some a, a good friend or two of mine. Thank you very much, dudes. You know who you are. <laughs> um, are these buddies of yours that are contributing? Yeah. They, right. They're just... They loaned us the money. Gotcha. Very nice people. Yeah. It would be tacky to name them. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. just saying. So it wasn't just the record. I mean, now you have other friends coming out of the woodwork saying, hey, man, we got to get yeah, you out yeah, of here. Yes, yeah, yes. Exactly. Right. So, um, you know, which I'm very blessed to have good friends. And these people hadn't happened to have a little cash laying right. around that time. So, um, you know, all I, all I knew when I was in prison was is that, you know, uh, that we were trying to get my bail honored. And like, I got like a letter from, you know, my wife, of course, I got a letter from my drummer, one from my guitar player. They're like, dude, the community is supporting you. You know, the response, everybody's really behind you in the music community. And I'm like, that's cool. But you know, that's all I knew. It was just like a, in a letter. I didn't, I didn't know exactly what, you know, um, I know like, one day I, I was going out to walk and these, some of the prisoners I knew were like super excited and they're like, you know, this man, Ozzy Osbourne. And I'm like, yes, yes, I do. I, I know Ozzy, you know, and they're like, Ozzy Osbourne says good things for you. You go home soon. Like, really? like, like Ozzy, like is going to, you know, like <laughs> Ozzy's going to grant he, the he's, wish. He's, yeah. yeah. He's going to be like, all aboard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the crazy train's going to pull in. And like, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to ride out of, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, what did Ozzy say for me? But it was in some Czech paper, you know, and they're like, they didn't speak much English. It was, it was, they were doing really well to say Ozzy Osbourne says good things for you. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, I was like, I mean, I was pumped. So many people in the music community supported me, mm-hmm. you know, throughout this. It's just so many people. Um, well, everybody, even if you did, like, I didn't ever, we've never, we'd never met at that point yeah, in time. And I was supporting like, everybody. Yeah. 
who was out there was like one of the brothers yeah, needs help. Of course, you, you know. know? Um, and it was overwhelming. But I, I mentioned this in the book because it just kind of it spoke to me like the level of support that was going on, starting at like the dude who helped invent heavy metal, right? Mm-hmm. Ozzy wrote, Ozzy and Sharon wrote a letter to the judge who was overseeing the thing. And they said, you know, they spoke of my character. They said how we had done OzFest. They had known me for a long time. And they said, if you will just honor his bail and let him out, we will put on an OzFest concert in Prague. Wow. At our own cost. And you can donate all of the proceeds to any charity you wish. If you will just let him out. Really? I mean, dude, that's huge. That's massive. Yeah. Ozfest costs a lot of money, oh, yeah. especially over in Prague. Yeah, and they're like, "We'll we'll do an Ozfest. We'll donate the money. Just let him out on bail. Wow. Just on, not not don't find him guilty. Don't right. you know? Just let him go home. Just on let bail. him go yeah. home on bail. You know, let him let it happen. You know. So that I mean, that was very very touching to me. And I mean, it's singer of black sabbath yeah it's ozzy yeah and so it goes from there down to the the kids who come to our show you mm-hmm. know and everyone in between it was just this massive outpouring of of support and i didn't really know about it till i got home you know because i was i didn't have internet i didn't have you had nothing you were getting letters nothing. Yeah, yeah every now and then if they got delivered mm-hmm. you know so to come out, it was just like, whoa, it was really mind-blowing for me. Obviously, the judge turned down Ozzy's offer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, uh, you know, I still have a copy of the letter. Um, Did you ever get a chance to – have you talked to him since? Or seen I, I have not seen Ozzy since. I wrote him and Sharon a big thank you and uh, a mutual friend of ours was talking saying I was saying he was Ozzy had said to say hello to me and that's cool. said to say back to him you know recently when we were in Europe that's great right. yeah. but great dude you know um, just to, yeah just to make that uh, make yeah. that offer and just get to, it out there yeah him and Sharon you know yeah. but it was it was from both of them I was just like completely blown away you know let's talk about some of the guys that you live with your roommates your yes. cellmates <laughs> <laughs> who was the Jarl was Tom Selleck right Jarl was Tom Selleck number two and that's all he ever said to you was Jarl 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 very deep and like that was the only word he knew I think Jarl 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 so you know I'm, I've got to sign some papers for my family to come in and he's like Jarl 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 that's what it sounded like you know and it's like Groot 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 exactly Exactly. <laughs> that was he was just he was one of the guards. That was Tom Selleck yeah. too. So what about your cellmates? The cellmates like when I got arrested and I got sent to the prison, I walk into the cell and there's this like he looked like an a dark skinned Asian version of the Pillsbury Doughboy, right? <laughs> he's sitting there and I walk in, they Bradley lets me into the cell and he's like, Welcome to your new friend. He is a mongoloid. And I'm like, ooh, you know, Mongoloid. He meant Mongol, obviously. <laughs> Mongolian. Yeah, Mongolian. <laughs> so I walk in, and there's this dude, and I'm like, hey, I'm Randy. And he just looked at me. just, And I'm like, what's up? You know, I tried saying hello to him in a few different languages, and it didn't work. And finally, I used the time-honored technique that we Americans use when we're traveling, 
which is to speak louder and slower. <laughs> and that way the person will understand us, of course. Hello, I am Randy from America. Oh, how are oh, you? Why don't you say so? Yeah, yeah why you just say so? <laughs> no, his name was George, and he was like, he was a fat alcoholic Mongolian dude who was there because he had all of this came out through like pantomime over the course of weeks. We like because you're that. living with this guy twenty four seven. Yes, he speaks no English. You speak no, no Mongolian. I speak no Mongolian, obviously, dude, right? You know? And so we're figuring all this. It was really bizarre, man. But he was like this alcoholic dude who was in the Czech Republic illegally. He had no visa, and then he like and he had already been thrown out once before, I think. But he was a truck driver, and he loved to drink vodka. How do I know this? Because he talked about drinking vodka all the time. He'd just be like, Pure vodka, vodka. You know? He wrecked his truck and then went to prison. And so, like, I was in there for him, like, for, like, three weeks. He whistled constantly, whistling, 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 whistling. He slurped his food. He, like, he, ugh. It's he, enough to drive you crazy. Yes. Yeah. It was it was crazy, and I'm in this tiny like eight by ten room with him, twenty three hours a day, except for the one hour we're let out to go to walk, and he's just tapping and whistling and slurping his food. And anytime I would do anything like push ups or or anything, you know, he would be like, "Bah, you like girl," you know. I started teaching him some. He was like the world's worst personal trainer dude he just sat there and whistled and berated you and and was just this fat tough crap you know it was so bad were you were you intimidated at all when you first went in there like you know you think prison like is it like is it gonna beat me up or is he gonna want to rape me or well uh, oh him yeah like, when you first walk no, in there. okay no no not him okay uh, no he was like i walked in and i was like this dude is chubby he's like not the brightest. I'm like, I, you know, I, I, I'll handle him, you know, <laughs> yeah. but he drove me crazy eventually. Like I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to strangle this guy. So there aren't there, there aren't many people uh, of Mongolian descent in the Czech Republic. Like not at all. I had my dad actually like look up statistics and cause he's really good at math and put the percentages and I figured it out. It's in my book somewhere, but it's this minute, Mm-hmm. Amount of Mongolians in the Czech Republic. 2% or 1%. Or less than less 1%. Than 1%. Okay. Less, far, far less. Okay. So I'm in this, you know, what are the odds? Here I am in a cell with this Mongolian guy. His name was George, mm-hmm. like George with a D. And he's driving me crazy. And he's, you know, insulting me because I'm reading books as if it's like... Right. Like it's a bad thing to yeah. do. Yeah, working out and reading books is not yeah. good for him. Yeah, or writing, yeah. you know, he's just making fun of me. And all he did was sit on his bed and stare at the wall and whistle and, and drive me crazy. Is it the same song all the time? Yes, it was like this. Do you remember it? Like two, it went. For 23 hours <laughs> yeah. a day. Just that. <laughs> da, 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 da. And you have first, to write a melody line on your yeah, next record. At first, it. I was like, oh, this is like some Asian Mongolian stuff. And then like an hour and two later, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to kill this guy. You know? <laughs> wow. Like, because like, you know, I've read the adventures of Marco Polo and Kublai Khan and mm-hmm. all the Mongols. Mm-hmm. Like, 
riding their horses across Europe and Asia and conquering everything. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. This guy's going to tell me about Mongolia. No, no, it wasn't awesome. He sucked. <laughs> so I'm in there for him for like two weeks. And then one day I went to go see my lawyer and I come back and Tom Selleck, number one, yes, Tom Selleck, one, and Bradley were there and they're, they're like, it's time to move. And I open up the my cell. They put me in the cell and... George had already packed all my stuff, and then they moved us to this other cell, and they're laughing the whole time while they're walking to this other cell with me. And I'm like, this is not good, because I'd never seen them in such a good mood. They're so happy. So they're so bad. happy. That so means bad must that something they you. must, you know, they're <laughs> yeah. full of glee over something horrible that's going to happen to me. So they open up the door, and they're like, welcome to your new home. And inside, there's another Mongolian. <laughs> Like, what? Uh, uh, yes, it's like a bad joke, you know, an American singer and two Mongolians walking <laughs> walk to, into a prison. Yeah, walking to a Czech prison, <laughs> right, you know. Right. But this dude, his name was Gambold, and he was like a businessman, and he had gotten the, the short end of the stick, I think, on some weird business deal back in Mongolia where they were trying to decide on whether or not to extradite him back to Mongolia where he would go to prison. He had mm -hmm. some weird business partner. He did not belong in prison. He was like a straight-laced business dude, really good guy, and I believed him. You know, I, I, right. I think he just because Mongolia is super corrupt, oh. super corrupt. So I think there was something to do with that. But it was kind of he was awesome, man. He was smart. He spoke a little English, and and but then my other roommate, George, because there was another Mongolian, then proceeded to stop whistling as much, but just talk in Mongolian all the time. Constantly. Constantly. And the other the other guy, the other Mongolian guy gambled. He'd be like falling asleep. He could sleep through anything. And my first cellmate just talking, 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 talking. <laughs> to no one. To no one. Like, I want to, I want to strangle you. you know? I'm going to strangle you in your sleep. <laughs> right. So there's three of us in one cell. And it's, you know, not any bigger than the other one. Hmm. You know, no hot water, just a sink with cold water, no mirror, a toilet in the corner, no curtain, no nothing. That's it. Oh what's, the, what's the story about the shower? You had to take a shower and he, was he all bloody or what was going no, on? No, I walked into it. We went. How often would you take a shower? Once huh? a week? Mm, be twice a week. Okay. One, I think one week we only got one, but we got it twice a week. Mm -hmm. And it was like screwed up like shower like big tile dirty dark room with like four shower heads running over and we walk into this shower room and i'm stoked because it's like it's shower day and there's no ac in that prison no ventilation and we're in the basement also by the way where they put you to monitor you for depression when you first come to do <laughs> let's just see if he's depressed let's stick him yeah. in the dungeon if he right isn't, he will be yeah exactly <laughs> so like we are we're going, and everybody went at the same time if you were in a cell. So the three of us walk in, and I'm like, I hope there's not a lot of dudes today. Because sometimes it would just be you and your cellmates. And sometimes there would be like nine people, and you'd have to like take turns and wash as quick as you could because they'd only let you in there. There's a time so, limit. Yeah, a time limit. So I'm walking in, and we walk in, and they open the cell door, and it's like the, the shower cell door. And this incredible fucking, this smell was just ungodly came out of the shower on this blast of steam. And I was like, oh my God, what is that? And we walk in and there's this dude standing there and he's unwrapping this bandage from around him. And it's, it looks like about 15 feet of bandage and it's covered in like 
what looks like pus and oh. blood. And we're standing there, you know, in a shower. Right. Right. It's not the sanitary yeah. environment, you know, yeah, it's yeah. a small room. He's undoing all this stuff. And I'm like, what did he get stabbed or something or what? You know? And then I see this, like a, what looks like aquarium tubing, Next what? to his stomach, and I'm like, "What is that? Is it like a drug smuggling device? <laughs> what is that?" And then all of a sudden, he goes bloop, and then just pulls oh. it, and it's a colostomy bag, oh. and he just drops it on the floor, and then you can—he's standing there, and he's got his guts. There's this hole in his guts; you could see oh, it, and dude. his flesh had been under that bandage, God knows how long. And there's his colostomy bag full of shit and piss on the shower floor. And because I'm just standing there transfixed, I'm looking at him, and he was a short dude. You look down, and we're, he's standing there naked, and he's butt naked, and there's his Johnson, and it's like <laughs> down to his knees. <laughs> he's hung, right? And it's covered in warts, right? Like, oh. And I'm like, oh, my God, dude, he's got a colostomy bag. You can see his guts. He's like got venereal disease and and like we're supposed to get in the shower with this dude because there's this is the oh. only place and wow it, it was so horrible man it was so horrible and me and my cellies were just like oh my god just like horrified just can't look away just you'll just, never forget that image yeah, never oh. ever and like you know the poor guy i mean it's like I mean, it's not. I mean, what you do with your dick is your business, you know. But like, it, it it's not his fault that I'm in the in the shower with him. But it really, like, he could tell that we were like kind of panicked by yeah. this guy. And I mean, it's like I don't know what kind of diseases he had. You could see his guts. Yeah, you know, there's bodily fluids all over the place. Yes, yeah. it was so gross. And like, it really. You know, he could tell. I could tell he could tell I didn't want to be in there with him. And it really, it was emotionally, it showed me what prison can do to you real quick. Because for a little bit, I just didn't give up. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm like a really polite guy. I have a lot of compassion for people. But I was kind of like, this dude, mm. I'm not getting anywhere near him. And then on the way out, I'm just like, oh, man, that sucks, you know. Mm -hmm. That sucks because it turned, it, it kind of turned me into that protective sort of animal like i'm protecting myself right right, right, right like right, he was right. so gross you know yeah. it was not cool and then we we're like yelling at the at the guard and um who i named archie bunker that's another one you know like <laughs> all in the family because he looked like the mother and why was bradley bradley he just looked like he just bradley. looked like a bradley okay, yeah. he just uh, I, yeah and i have friends named bradley yeah, sure, sure. this guy gives bradley a bad, a bad name. yeah <laughs> he wasn't a brad he was a bradley okay you know she's done what archie bunker but he was like this he looked like archie bunker mm -hmm. like from all in the family and he was an asshole like him too you know but we're yelling at him like in three different languages czech mongolian english like you were never doing that again he's like this is normal no you, you know this i'm like dude this guy needs to be like he needs like, to a like quarantine he, yeah, yeah somebody needs to take a look at him and you know yeah I, even from a, from a medical standpoint. Yeah, is he had this filthy bandage all over him, you know? He was not it, it wasn't sanitary. It was gross, you know. And you know, luckily some uh a British prison watch group came by. They happened to come by that day. And they're oh, like kind of like inspectors. Yeah, well they oh. were there to like uh they came and they were there to help. They said we're here to try and improve the conditions of we're an organization that tries to help improve the conditions of British prisoners locked up abroad. Can okay. we talk to you? And I said, yes. 
you know I'm not British, right? <laughs> they're like, yes, but you're the only other dude here <laughs> yeah, who speaks English. English. <laughs> you know? Right. So then they, after they left, you know, I started talking to him. All of a sudden, the prison social worker showed up. Mm. Is everything okay? You know? Well. <laughs> I mean, the first day I went there, we went to, the, went to go get drug tested. There was a guy getting carried out of the cell next to me, screaming and spitting. He had tuberculosis. Wow. Yeah, there are guards like with face masks on. I'm like, what's going on with that dude? And all these guys are covering their faces, and they're like, oh, he just tested for tuberculosis. He doesn't want to go to the hospital. So he's like fighting and screaming, and like, I'm like, tuberculosis? I haven't heard of that. Like, That's some shit my 50s. grandma talked yeah, about. Exactly. You know? right, That's right. some bad stuff. He's got polio. <laughs> yeah, like, what are you it, talking about? Yeah, exactly. It happens in unsanitary environments, and that place was really unsanitary. It's amazing, too. Another thing I thought was really interesting was you're talking about being, becoming a product of your environment, how... And I'm the same way. Like you have one toilet, and you got two guys or three guys. Yeah. The uh, what was the word you used? The poop, uh, poop prudishness. Poop prudishness it's goes on. Yeah, I can shit with anyone right now. <laughs> the president, your mother, like Mother Teresa, anyone. If I got to go now, I'll just I don't care. Did that take a while to get over that though? Because I can see that too. Like wanting some privacy. Yeah, well, there is no privacy there. I mean. Even animals, when they take a crap, it's a self-preservation mechanism because you're vulnerable when mm-hmm. you're crapping. You'll see, like, you know, and animals don't just walk up and shit right in front of you most of <laughs> yeah. the time. They, they go somewhere, yeah, you know. Yeah, hide behind a tree or yeah, something. Yeah, they're, like, chilling, you know, and humans are like that, too. And But, you know, no. <laughs> and also, man, we had no solid food, so, I mean, it was just ass blasters for a month, you know? <laughs> Which happens when you're in Europe anyways. Yeah, exactly, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would have paid good money for a case of Pepto-Bismol in there, something to lock me up. Right, 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 right. <laughs> it was rough, you know? Um, but, yeah, go to prison for a little bit, and, or at least that one. You, you'll shit with Get rid of the perversions. So wait, how did you finally end up uh, getting getting out of there after 34 days? This day, there was a journalist uh, named Jonathan Crane who who actually covered my trial. He's an English dude, really good dude, who covered for a, a English publication in Prague called the Prague Post. And I got a note from the prison thing that said, this guy wants to interview you. He speaks English. Are you willing to do it? And I'm like, yes. I want to speak to someone who can, you know, because all I've done is talk to a couple of Czech people. You know, I, I want the people in America and England to understand what I'm saying. Because a lot of the information that came out of this whole thing was through, like, you'd see it. I've looked it up on the news. A lot of it was, like, Google Translate of, like, oh, I see. Czech news articles and stuff stuff just completely screwed make up. any sense yeah yeah so i'm like okay i'm going to be able to speak to this guy and it's going to be printed in english and you know people are going to know what's up and so we went to walk and then i they were like i got called into the office on the tier that day and they're I, i'm like uh, i brought this piece of paper with me that was a request for this dude because i had to approve the request and i'm like what's the matter is he not here are you not going to approve my request and they're like you don't need that you're going home right now pack mm. your stuff pack your stuff so somehow my one two three third appeal on my bail had gotten overturned and my lawyers, one guy was just camped out by the court waiting for it to get overturned before the prosecuting attorney found out again because then he could have written a whole new request oh, for wow. my incarceration 
saying, I need him for more questioning. So he could have red taped you for Oh, that's all he did. Forever. He yeah. always waited until Friday to make an appeal. He waited till the last minute, so I'd have at least two more days so oh. the court wouldn't be able to see it. He just kept on grinding the wheels. I mean, I suppose he was doing his job. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a prosecuting attorney. Um, and... I mean, the, the fact of the matter is also, you know, I was an American, and their perception of me is, is that I'm an American rock star dude. And if I leave and I go away back to America, I'm not going to come back mm-hmm. to trial. You know? That's, that was, I mean, I can't really blame them for, right, right. for that. But the know? one thing that you're right about, and I thought was very noble, is you said, like, I'm going to take care of this situation. I have to. No matter what happens. Maybe you were saying, I, I, I will prepare myself for 10 years in jail if that's yeah. what happens yeah i'm not just gonna leave this and run away yeah i mean i said you know when they let me out they kind of they took me to my lawyer's apartment in prague and we hid out and laid low until i could get a flight the next day you know because if the prosecuting attorney had found yeah. out you know boom back in back in prison and i did a little interview with the czech tv station who uh, my lawyer had a good relationship with, and they agreed not to air it until it's on the plane. And they said, "Will you come back if you get indicted?" And I said, "Absolutely." You know, uh, I have to clear my name. You know, and I, like it was a really tragic situation. Um, yeah, let's talk about that. What? What? You know, what exactly did did happen? Well, you know, there's. I mean, as far as you can tell, I mean, as far as I can tell. There were so many people coming up on stage. I don't, there is no clear memory of the young man who's deceased whatsoever. You know, because the guy you wrestled down was not the guy. No, he showed up to to testify on my behalf. He showed up in the courtroom. His name was Milan. And he said, because all these people who testified, there are something like 30 different witnesses or something, some of them said, no, he wasn't doing anything. To, to anyone. He was just a normal show. And then some of them were like, you know, oh, he was punching people. He was beating people up. He beating was, you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Saying I was beating people up, beating up three or four people over the course of the night, you know, right from the beginning, which is ludicrous because mm-hmm. we showed video of the first half of the show in court. So you're like, that's not true. That's not true. Yeah, that's yeah, not yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Come on. You know, um, but he showed up and he was like, look, you know, I was drunk. I kept on getting on the stage. He told me, no, he wasn't rough. I didn't punch the guy. You know, I didn't even strangle him. You, know, you didn't I, even miss a lyric. You were still singing yeah, the song. I was screaming into his face. Yeah. <laughs> I, he wanted to get up and I wouldn't let him up after a while. I had the mic and I was like <laughs> rubbing it in his face, just screaming. Yeah. And I figured I'd freak him out and it did. Right. You know, and then he left. But to my memory... You know, that was the only person I had a physical involvement with that night. Otherwise, it was other people just running up on stage, you know. And a guard pushed uh, some a dude off stage. So, you know, I went back to court to face this whole thing in order to try and not only to provide some answers for the family of this young man who never attacked me in the press. They never came The family back. never did. No. They just wanted some answers. Mm-hmm. You know, can you blame them? Not at all. Their kids did. All sure. they know is what they read in the paper. And listen, yeah. the bottom line is too. I think you said in the book too. I mean, it's a horrible thing that one, one of your fans passed away at yeah. the show. I mean, that's it's, terrible. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And it's nothing. You know, we never want our fans to get 
mm-hmm. get hurt. You know, um, a fan died in DC. I heard he had a heart attack after we played one time and that mm-hmm. felt horrible. Yeah. I mean, sure. that had nothing to do with us. I think he was overweight. He came out into the lobby and died, but still that screwed me up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, God, I died. that of course. was the last thing he saw was us. He was went you? to the lobby at nine thirty, had a heart attack and died, mm-hmm. you know, but then to be implicated, they were saying you were trying to hurt this guy, you know, you pushed him or whatever. To the best of, of, of what I can tell, and this is what I said in court, you know, what I think happened is, is there were so many people coming up on stage, and I had removed people from the stage. I think this kid came up, I turned around and saw him, pushed him away from me, and he went off the stage, hit his head, and it killed him. Mm-hmm. You know, no one caught him. I think, th- I think that's what's happened. That, that's what happened, mm-hmm. you know, from deducing all the testimonies from looking at all the evidence, looking and, and thinking and thinking, I think that's what happened, mm-hmm. you know? So I have to take responsibility for that, you know, uh, even though it wasn't a willful act and there was no security, all that stuff, but still, um, it was just a terrible it's, set it's of circumstances, terrible, yeah. terrible set of circumstances. And I can't say for sure that's what happened, but you know, also, I hadn't been drinking that night. If I'd been drinking, you know, I, I would have. Right, because you don't drink anymore, no, but at the be, time you were. Yeah, I didn't have a single drink until after the show, mm-hmm. you know, and I know this because I found my journal from that day. But the stage, and I, and I say this at the end of the, at the, end of the, uh, the book, um, musicians on the stage have every right to protect themselves, mm-hmm. you know? Absolutely. And that protecting myself and my band and I didn't beat anybody up. Mm -hmm. That wasn't my mistake. My mistake was not, not just stopping the show Mm -hmm. because it was out of control. Right. Um, you know, and I, and I have to take responsibility for that. And I, you know, I don't know what would have happened. A bunch of drunk metal heads. It's our first play, first time in a foreign country. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know bands that have had to fight audiences before, sure, yeah. you know, they've trashed their bus. Maybe they trashed the club. Maybe they're riot, whatever. You know, it, it could have been ugly for all I know. Um, but what, what was at stake? Like, what, what was the sentence that you could have gotten? Five to ten years. Five no, to ten years. No time off for good behavior. And you were at a minimum five years. Would this have been in Czechoslovakia or would you? Czech Republic, yes. Wow. So you would have been. That's it. You're you're in jail for adios. Yeah, adios. and you and you talk about that in the book how you were prepared for this. Yeah, I mean, dude, it's like for me, you know, I, the big part of every of, of a lot of things was when I got sober. I really had to start looking at myself and like taking, you know, accountability for myself and everything, every action, you know, and I think that's something that you don't see enough of in today's world, you know, is like everybody wants to point a finger and blame somebody else or get somebody else to fix their problem. You know, Oh, why is this happening to me? Mm-hmm. You know, um, this isn't fair. Boo hoo. The world isn't fair. You know, for me, if I, I felt ethically obliged to return and face it, you know, and if I had to do the time, I had to do the time. And if I had found out through the court process, some information that, you know, 
maybe somebody had, had had a testimony that jarred my memory or there was some footage or something that was like, oh, shit, I did try right. and mess this kid up. I would have had to say I'm guilty. And, you know, I would have done that time because I can't, you know, look at myself in the mirror and call myself mm-hmm. a good man. If if there's a dead fan of my band and it's my fault and if I don't take responsibility. Yeah, what's the point of, you know, if you're going to kill a fan and get away with it, that's not. Yeah, that's yeah, not, you know, why, I why can't. I'd. I'd be drinking again, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and then I'd just blow my brains out or something, mm-hmm. you know, because it, it's it's not the way I was raised. Did you, you know? feel like or did you have any indication when you were in court like you're going to be okay or did you not know until that verdict was read? No, no. I was completely shocked. Really? The, yeah. I thought what would happen was <clears> – <throat> what I thought would happen is that they probably wouldn't be able to find me guilty – on the original charge because the evidence, it was all just so much hearsay. Mm -hmm. And of course it's in a foreign country and their legal system is different than ours. I'm not quite sure, but their the evidence was just ludicrous against me, you know, the quote unquote evidence. Yeah. It was stupid. Um, but what I thought would happen is, is that they would not be able to find me guilty on that, but they would break it down uh, to a lesser charge, maybe a negligence, and that I would probably do one to three years. I thought I would do at least a year. Really? You were resigned, like, okay, I'm... Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a good deal. It's better than 10. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's... So it must have been... Uh, you must have been fairly happy to hear that that verdict, but still... I mean, I, like, I don't, I don't know... I don't know how to describe it when I was found not guilty. Like, I'd already made up my mind... Like, no matter what they say, I'm not going to show any emotion Mm. because the fact of the matter is it's a very serious, tragic situation. And, you know, A, if I'm got to go to prison, I'm not going to start weeping. My family's sitting right there, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not going to be a disgrace in the courtroom. I don't want to go to jail, whatever, you know, I'll deal with it. But then if I'm found not guilty, I'm not going to, like, hop up and start celebrating. Sure. There's a young man's family sitting right there. And they were right there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Some of them. Some of them were, were present. And, you know, I, that's insulting, you mm-hmm. know? So when I heard what happened was is that my translator was translating what the judge was saying as he read the sentence on the last day. And he's like... And it went on for a while, dude, because they had to read the legal code. This paragraph, according to the paragraph of blah, 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 blah. And my translator, who was happened to be a little person. That's right. You talk uh, about um, is like speaking this stuff in my ear. And the judge says on the charge of paragraph 13, blah, 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 blah. This charge has been removed against you. And I'm like, what does that mean removed against me? And she goes, it means I, you are not guilty. And I'm like, okay. That's cool. All right, what else? You know, because I thought, you know, and my lawyers and I had discussed this. What, what's next? And she goes, I think that's it. And I'm like, you think? <laughs> She's like, yeah, I, think you, I think you can go home now. I'm like, I, I need better than I, I think. <laughs> yeah. you know? And at that point, my American lawyer, who was there as a sort of advisor, mm-hmm. and my, my lawyer, Jeff Cohen, leaned over and he whispered to me. He said, total exoneration. Wow. And I was like, whoa. And like, I wasn't, I mean, the emotion I felt, it, I wouldn't call it like happiness. Mm-hmm. There relief, was, maybe? There was relief, but it was also just so much overwhelming sadness over everything that had happened, you know, because 
I mean, it's just so sad. Yeah. You know, Did you have any contact at all with the family at all at, at any point in time? I'm, you know, the family reached out, and I, I wrote about it at the end of the book. The family reached out to uh, to my family. My wife and my band told them, look, we're not having a witch hunt against this guy. Uh, we just want to know what happened. And then at, after I was found not guilty, they requested to meet with me before they went back to their village in the Czech Republic. And, um, you know, I'm not going to publicly discuss what we discussed gotcha, other you, than, yeah. other than the fact that they were just super cool to me and that they wanted me to, the last thing that the uncle of the young man, he was a family's legal representative in court. And he said, as he was leaving, he was just like, you remember, you can be a, a spokesperson for safer shows. And so that's, you know, immediately after, right before we went back on tour, I did a long blog post on my blog, Randonesia, called Be Carefully, where it's talking to fans and bands explaining this stuff. You know, security, if you're in a band, make sure security is right. If you're a club owner, make sure you have trained security. Don't you're playing with someone's life. Right. You know, these shows are, are crazy. And if you're a fan, know the risk you're taking, even if you don't get on stage, even if you're just crowd surfing, it's cool. I mean, dude, I got my forehead yeah. is uneven right here. I had 44 yeah. stitches at Milwaukee Metal Fest where I staged over, screwed up during Brutal Truth. My head is split, split wide, wide open, open you, yeah. you know, could have died. You, If you're doing this stuff, you can get hurt, you know, so... Like, it's just important for people to be aware of this type of thing. You know, it really is. And what happened to me, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, it was only a matter of time before this happened to somebody. You know, um, I mean, it, it was only a matter of time and probably be someone I knew, mm -hmm. you know, because of the crowds we play to. Because I am not the only guy who's ever removed one, someone from stage. Oh, yeah. Like a million oh, yeah. of my I've friends were, yeah, a million of my friends were like, oh my God, dude, I was so thankful. Not that I was happy that it was you, but I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that, Right, you know, it could have been me. I've done so much worse and just push someone off mm -hmm. the stage, you know, you punch people out. I mean, it's crazy, yeah. you know, jump off the stage and try and kick someone as you jump in the crowd. Oh, yes. or whatever. oh Maybe, yeah, man. You know, that happens all the time. Yeah, man. all the time. Maybe not as much anymore, though. Hopefully... Hopefully everyone will learn yeah. guys in the bands and the fans from what happened with club you. owners, promoters to tour managers, make sure they're, you know, our tour manager did. He said he had a security meeting because he's like, is our, do we have security? Yes. Do you understand? Yes. They still didn't do it. You know, it was mm -hmm. like, it was a nightmare. So I, it's important to me, you know, uh, out of all this to let people know this kind of thing can happen, you know? Yeah. Keep your keep your shit dialed tight, <laughs> and if you're a fan, know that your actions can have repercussions. Last question is this: Is this uh, something that like financially that that it affected the band? Like, are, are you guys behind the eight ball as far as money that had to be spent repaying all the man? Loans and it stuff? was, dude. I had six lawyers, <laughs> all billing at the same time, and flying to and Czechoslovakia flying to, twice to Prague, yeah, to Prague and twice because the court got interrupted the trial got interrupted in the middle due to a witness so i had to fly back for the trial twice we had to stay there i was there for a month dude it wiped us pretty close to out but like 
the fans, there was a legal defense fund. We auctioned stuff off. The fans bought stuff. The fans donated money. The fans made T-shirts and sold them and donated money. You know, friends of mine donated money. You're a friend of mine, Jamie Josta. Shout out, Jamie Josta. I love you, you know, because mm-hmm. he's the realist. He's the truth. He went to overdrive, made free Randy T-shirts, sold <laughs> them, donated money, you know. They kept us. We didn't go bankrupt. You know, we never missed payroll because we employ a lot of right. people. Because you you're, you're a big level band. We I can say that. Yeah. We, we employ a lot of people. They're depending on us. We didn't go bankrupt. But, man, it's been nice to be back on the road <laughs> and make a little money. We're yeah, just getting yeah. some back into the account. Well, I think also there was such a huge, huge fan reaction to you. You really did become... Uh, like I'm not going to say Mandela, but that sort of a unjustly imprisoned guy for the metal community. When you got up, got out, yeah. people were very, you know, yeah. happy. You know, I think it's also important, like to to look at the fact. And I was really glad that people supported me. But I, you know, it was important for me to go back to not just for them to say screw this, this isn't right, but to go back and face it and say, okay, this is what happened. Now right. you know mm-hmm. this is the to face this rather than just saying, screw you, I'm not going back. Right. To man up and let them be shown. Yes. That yeah, I wasn't yeah, yeah. to show, exactly. Yeah, I got a show. Well, you did, and like I said, I mean, you, you, the new album's coming out, Lamb of God, Sturm and Drang, which I love. I've heard that for years, but what does it mean? It means storm and stress, roughly, in uh, German. It was... Uh, you know, it was part of a literary movement in gotcha. Germany. Like Goethe was an early proponent of it. But really, the whole record has a theme of, and there's only two songs on the record that kind of deal with me being in prison. And I wrote those while I was in prison. <laughs> yeah. Then I wrote a 500 page book, so I didn't write a prison record. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm not a gangster rapper. <laughs> yeah, right, you know, right, right. Unlike some of you gangster rappers, I've actually been to prison. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, right. You've got your street cred. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But no, I'm not going to write a whole record about yeah. that. But the whole record in general has a theme of how people react to stress. And that, gotcha. that Sturm und Drang kind of like. It mm-hmm. kind of encapsulates that stressful feeling. And the book is called Dark Days. And it's incredible. Like I said, I read a lot of books. And this is one of the best books I've read in a long time. Thank you, it's, sir. Uh, it's riveting. It's very emotional. It's sad. It's happy. I mean, like I said, there's a lot of great humor in it. And uh, you made it on the other side. And you have a great attitude as a result of it, which a lot of people might not. So I respect that. You can only do what you can do, you know. I hope that there's also, you know, I hope in the book, you know, some stuff that might help some people. Yarl. Y'all. All right. Always great to talk to Randy Bly. Really good dude. And he's a very uh, a heartfelt man. You could tell by what he said. He was going to take responsibility for whatever crime it was that he committed, whether he remembered it or whether he didn't remember it. Thankfully, he is out of jail. He's back on the road with the new Lamb of God album. He's doing a huge book tour. The album is out next Friday, July 24th. Uh, the band is kicking off their tour the same day, starting Friday the 24th in West Palm Beach, Florida. I believe that's what Slipknot, featuring Corey Taylor, who also was on the show promoting his book, You're Making Me Hate You. Corey and Randy together, two of the smartest guys I know. Uh, Randy's doing some book signings. He'll be at Book Review in New York City today, July 15th. He's signing at the Urban Farmhouse in Richmond, Virginia, his hometown, on Friday, July 17th. Finally, at Book Soup in Hollywood, California, Sunday the 19th. Go check him out. Uh, Say some nice words to him. He's a great guy. He's very, very cool. And this book rules. Dark days. Go read it now. All right? If you can't get to any of the signings, you know where you can pick up his book. Amazon. And you know what to do if you pick up the book on Amazon? You do it through the Talk is Jericho Amazon links. 
You can find the TAJ Amazon links by going to podcast1.com. You click on the support our show banner at the top of the page. Then you hit the Talk is Jericho button. All right, I got links for Amazon USA, Amazon UK, Amazon Canada A. And every time you make a purchase that way, Amazon kicks back a little money to the show to help us cover production costs. You get anything you want on Amazon. Randy's book, Corey Taylor's book, uh, with the best title in publishing right now. Like I said, you're making me hate you. A cantankerous look at the common misconception that humans have any common sense left. Yeah. <laughs> you get to get the Blackville Brides DVD with my friend Andy uh, Beerzak. That's alive and burning. New Tremonti album, Cauterize. Whatever you want or need, you know Amazon's got it. You go to podcast1.com, click on the support our sponsors, banner at top of the page, then hit talk is Jericho button. And we still got a few more dates left on the Y2J WWE Summer Tour. And when I say we, I mean that royalty. We meaning I. Uh, July 31st, San Diego. August 1st, Ontario, California. August 2nd, Fresno, California. 15th, Detroit. 16th, East Lansing. Go to WWE.com to check them all out. Uh, I might even have some more dates coming up uh, soon as well. Just a little taste for you guys for being such great Talk is Jericho listeners. You'll get the scoop here first. Also, some Fozzie dates left. Uh, July 24th at the Square in Kitchener, Ontario. August 8th, Festival Festival and Friends in Hamilton, Ontario. August 9th, Heavy Montreal in Montreal. October 30th, the Kiss Cruise with the Kiss Navy going all the way to the Bahamas. Then the uh, Cinderblock Party tour, tour continues November 14th. We are going to Hamburg, Berlin, Cologne, uh, Reading, London, Manchester, Birmingham, Newcastle, Sheffield, all across Europe and the UK. Go to FozzyRock.com, get all the information about VIPs to come meet us and go buy some tickets to come watch us. You will love it. And speaking of watching... You know what's going on. July 22nd, Sharknado 3. You know who's in it? Me. You know who the star is? Ian Ziering, and he's here on Friday on Talk is Jericho to talk Sharknado 3 and to talk 90210 Steve Sanders. He's another great guest. I'm keeping it on a roll. I'll see you on Friday. And don't forget, uh, what's the answer? Uh, what's the catchphrase? Uh, yeah, boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcast1.com. That's podcast podcastone.com. 